0: We are creating a platform for those who are curious, one that tells the story from the artist's perspective, moments in time captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is The Working Artist Project.
1: First of all, we'd like to thank you so much for joining us. I know that uh, you have a a busy teaching schedule, and we appreciate you uh, joining us on your day off. And uh yeah, and- man,
2: look, I, I, I want to apologize because I know y'all had me scheduled uh like uh, two weeks ago and uh when those storms were coming through, man. I think I still have like some post-Katrina uh trauma happening, man. Cause whenever there's a <laughs> storm in the Gulf coming up here, I just like to wall myself up, close the door and and put my head down, man. It you know, I'm I'm still dealing with that.
3: Oh man, <laughs> I get it. I completely understand that, man.
2: I 'm with you one hundred
3: percent yeah, yeah. it 's funny because me and Greg had a conversation about you know about that whole thing, like yeah, when, when storms come and you went through Katrina at any level, you just like, <laughs> yeah, bro, you, you get a little nervous you know
1: <laughs> yeah you do. it 's funny because like you know there 's so many cats who just moved to town, and, and I know in the last five six years we 've been fortunate to not have any storms, and there 've been a lot of close calls and you know little tropical storms that have come through and just brought wonderful weather. And so every time these things happen, I hear people like, "Oh, these storms are blah blah blah." I'm like, "Look, man, it just takes one to destroy everything." <laughs> and yeah. you never right only took it's... a rain.
2: It took a heavy rainstorm like three or four years ago to flood the city. So you know, I mean, come right. on, right? That's, Absolutely,
1: dude. That's what I'm saying, man. If if it rain, it rains for 20 minutes outside, my car is underwater. I'm getting out of town if there's a storm. <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. Things yeah. are getting better
1: though. So
2: come visit New Orleans, y'all. God. <laughs>
1: It's cold. We're <laughs> open for business. Come on, y'all! <laughs> <over for> <laughs> all, all the, all the gigs are closed, and, and right. Frenchman Street is yeah. literally boarded up. <laughs> Come on down, y'all. <laughs> Come on down.
3: So, man, I, we do want to get because you know you are an educator, and that's that's mm-hmm. what your specialty. And you know? so, we want to kind of get into some of that. And since we're bringing up storms, we're in a storm right now. You know, like COVID yeah. is is a storm. That none of us were prepared for, you know, like psychologically, just that alone. Like, damn, my whole life will shut down. That's not even a possibility. How how are you kind of dealing with that in your teaching career? Man, it's uh, it's
2: been, it's been a challenge to say the least. Um, You know, everything everything shifted to virtual learning for most teachers uh, in March, and then uh, I feel like uh, for you know, music teachers. Some music teachers were, uh, the schools allowed them to be parts of the, the conversation and they were able to uh, position themselves uh, and, and still sort of maintain some semblance of an arts program in their school. Other music teachers were uh, shifted to support roles through like academic interventionists and reading interventionists and, and other uh, roles that are not normally in the purview of a, of a music specialist. So um, yeah, it just varies by district, and you know, in New Orleans being a 100% charter public charter district, it varied from the different charters all over the city. Like some, mm-hmm. some of the, our, our colleagues here were able to to affect their music program and still be able to to teach music. Others had to do a, a hybrid role where they were were balancing doing a reading intervention spot and and they were shoved a little crumbs to still teach music. And and the irony is, you know, during like the hard times of of the pandemic, you know, people leaned on music and the right. hearts to sort of pull them through. So uh, it would make sense that we would think that children would need that too. But um, right. yeah, it can rough to say the least.
3: You you know, today I had a very interesting thought about edu- music education or just education in general in America, mm-hmm. and, and and I think COVID for me shined a light on it. And yeah. you can yeah. tell me what you think about this, but. It seems to me that the education industry in America is the only p- industry that is pushing technology to the side. You know, every other in- industry is like, oh, we want to be better. We got to grasp this technology, integrate it so that we can see ourselves to the next level, you know, to so that future level of uh, success. But Where do you see that? Like, for instance, Zoom classes and things like that. Like, mm-hmm. like you know, everybody's kind of like, yeah, we don't really want to do that. But I, I'm like, okay, what kind of, what ways can you integrate Zoom, even if you are in the classroom? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. what ways can we integrate Zoom to help people get education who wouldn't normally have it, access to it? Or for instance, if a kid is suspended? Like, there is no such thing as suspension anymore. You might gotta go home, but you still gonna yeah. learn today. So, well, so, well,
2: yeah, bro, that, that's a very interesting observation you have, man, and um, uh, you know, I will say, like in in my particular situation uh, I've been fortunate so far to be allowed to teach music classes uh, this, this fall semester virtually, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of the districts here in New Orleans have sort of shifted or shifting their approach using this technology as it's developing. And I would say more technology has been uh, developed and and is continuing to evolve since the pandemic uh, began. Uh, And to your point, I I hope that, you know, as we transition through and throughout this uh, uh, COVID-19 situation, it, and we go back to more face-to-face learning once the pandemic is over, people will still maintain an open mind to using that technology. Because you're right, like suspensions, you know, we can have, uh, you know, now, let's let's put a pin in that cuz i do want to talk about hybrid learning for a moment okay. but okay. uh but dealing with suspensions or or even absences when when children are absent absent they can still sort of be tuned in um or even like if i don't know if if, if parents have to travel and go away and like uh, right. the, the students can still be connected um but what i've also discovered is in the beginning of the year especially um I know in New Orleans, most teachers spend about a month of professional development before the okay. school year even starts uh, without like a month without children. Teachers just get together because there is a, a, a large workforce of teachers here who are coming into the profession untrained, if you will. Right. Okay. So they use that time to sort of get the teachers up to speed. Uh, they, they utilize more experienced teachers in partnership uh, to sort of create uh, sort of a. A robust professional development model, uh, for better or worse, I'll say. Yeah. And with that, I think now hopefully this, some school districts can can envision how to use Zoom to connect with kids in that intercession of summer, like mm-hmm. when the teachers are coming back for a whole month. Okay, let's have an let's have an orientation week where now you get to be face to face with the kids. Uh, online and everybody's name has their their name tag on it. So you can, you can see it, you can associate a face with the name, so that when you're actually getting the building face to face with the kids, you have, you've established this virtual relationship, but you have a relationship that's already been forming that you can build upon when you get face to face. I think that is crucial. And you also have a relationship with the parents because the parents are there. And so now the parents have seen the teacher, the parents have seen the teacher interact with the kids. You're spot on in that observation. Yeah. but now the the uh, about hybrid learning though okay like let's say for example, the child um, for whatever reason is suspended uh, well first of all let's let's hope that that you know the conversation around suspensions and expulsions can sort of pivot to like and, and really get to the why why is all that happening like why is it, why are children being criminalized in schools right <laughs> but um so if a child is suspended and there is this robust technology, a technological system set up for them, um, who's gonna run it though? Because there's ideas being thrown out now about teachers actually being able to teach the class face-to-face and also synchronously having a virtual lesson happening. You can't do that. Like that's not, that's not a legit uh, solution in my opinion because it's like, how do you manage, how do you manage a classroom of people uh, and manage a virtual room and be good at both at the same time. That's not...
1: Those are almost colleges, two separate jobs.
2: Yeah. Exactly, it's two separate jobs. So so it would it would make sense then if you have personnel that can facilitate an on, online uh, platform, e- either a paraprofessional or, or an actual teacher that can facilitate the online stuff to deal with the absenteeism that's happening in the school. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rather than rolling that on to a teacher who already has to manage a classroom of students, I think that is a more agreeable solution. Um, we we see colleges now. I know up in New York because I have a cousin who's uh, teaching at uh, Iona College. Okay. And he's having he's teaching his classes, and he's using this thing called an owl. Uh, are y'all familiar with that?
3: Mm-mm.
2: What is the owl? Darren.
3: Yeah, I've heard of it. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, yeah, he's using this owl thing where where you know it 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 zooms into specific students in the class who, who may be speaking and and then it the, the camera actually tracks speakers in the room and people who are virtual can tune in synchronously and connect to the class in that way. Um that might be advantageous for uh collegiate scholars, but I don't understand I I don't see it being super beneficial in a K8 setting. And maybe not even in a, a, a K-12 setting, a high school setting either, you
1: know. Real, real quick, what, what grades, so everyone watching, what grades do you, you specialize in these days? Uh, these days, I mean, I, I teach K-8,
2: you know, I okay. specifically K-4, and I have a seventh and eighth grade um, band, like a, an advanced band, that I, the, the middle school band, that I share the, the duties with my colleague, Kelvin Harrison.
1: Yeah, oh, okay, cool. Can, so I, I actually want to dig into like education at, at for that age group, but but following yeah. up on some of the COVID questions, man, like how in in the the couple of weeks that you guys have been in class and session, how have your students been adjusting to the virtual learning and and I know it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a totally unique situation because you're essentially being invited into people's homes. And like yes. be, you know, seeing where the kids you know being you know you you, you got a place at the dinner table <laughs> a lot of yeah. times. I was wondering how how you see the the kids adjusting to this this new thing and and maybe some of the hurdles and and maybe some of the positives you see out of what's going on.
2: Well, I mean, anybody who, who's dealt with children, and I know you have both of you have um, children, are extremely resilient, you know, humans. Right. Um, that being said, they also Feel and experience trauma at a at a you know very uh, unique and personal level also. Yeah. So um, they there's only so much you can you can interpret through a screen uh, with the children. And more more of how they're being affected is going to come out when when the teachers are actually back face to face with them, and the parents aren't necessarily sitting behind them or in the room with them. Um, you, the children are a little less, uh, a little less inhibited. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh,
3: That's a real nice way to put it.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just, you know, the the, the realness is gonna come out when, once we get face-to-face uh, in the absence of the parents. Now, now, how are they affected? Like I, one positive I see is like children, you know, children are themselves, you know, they're, they're, they're coming to class online, uh, if they want to slouch and, and lean over, some schools are making them still look like this when they're when they're learning. Um, I don't put too much stress on that when I'm when I'm teaching. But um, like children are comfortable, like some some of them are eating, you know, eating their breakfast while they're on. And and you know, I love that aspect of it. Um, a lot of that because you know, if I'm working in a K4 uh, setting, the parents are with them because you know the children are young. So you, you do get to see the parents, you do your parents, the parents get to see you, which is really great. Um, and, uh, but like I said, to answer your question, as man, like we're gonna really begin to see like how affected the children have been, have been like when we get in face to face
1: with them. Yeah, man, I, I, go ahead, Darren, I was, sorry. I was just
3: gonna say to circle back on, on a point you made earlier that you can't teach virtually and in person, I would imagine that the perfect system that school system districts would hire a whole new set of ind- individuals who are good at that, who specialize at teaching long distance, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And, and it, it seems to be advantageous to the different schools to set those programs up because maybe, because schools are competitive and it's like, oh, I wanna go to this school because I have an opportunity, I have options, you know, like right. may- yeah. May- yeah. maybe maybe, I'm the person that my, my family travels half the year. And so now you can say, you don't have to be at school every day. You just need to be at school 10 days out of the year to take this test or that test or whatever. And the rest you can do online if you show capability to do that. But we also have a whole staff of individuals that deal with that. You know what I yeah.
2: mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the well, just to clarify, like teachers, there are teachers who who will, who are capable of managing both. I'm just saying it can't be done at a hundred percent. Like you just can't, the, the needs of a face-to-face student are very different from the needs of a virtual student yeah. and being face-to-face, like there's so many fires that you have to put out in a classroom. Even if you're the best classroom manager, uh, that the world has ever seen, there's so many fires that have to be put out in any given moment inside of a classroom, especially a public school classroom where you're dealing with 27 to 32 kids in a single setting, uh, even a music classroom. It's just like managing that and then managing an online classroom where the chat thread is is being lit up because children have questions. People are hitting the raise hand button because they need to go use the bathroom. And the policy is... You got to ask for permission online before you get up to use the bathroom in your own house.
1: Is that really the like policy? Those,
2: those, <laughs> well, some schools have that policy. I'm not yeah. going to speak specifically about the yeah, policy yeah. I have.
1: To. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, that
2: is a policy. That is mm-hmm. a thing. Wow. And
1: so, okay.
2: so like, to be able to manage all of those variables at 100% or even at 80% between the two of them, it's it's just not a viable solution.
1: Um yeah. Yeah, because that's the thing about, in, the cl- in the classroom, what you were saying is like there's, there's so many needs that, that, that the kids need that are outside of just like lecturing the class. Like, I mean, yeah, when you're in the classroom with kids, especially younger kids who are not in high school, there's mm-hmm. so much of the interaction lesson that's, that's not necessarily about music or math, it's about interacting with people, learning how to control your emotions, learning how to not use the bathroom every five minutes or something like just yeah. simple things that, <laughs> yeah. that you can if, kind you, of- man, if you if
2: you're <laughs> fortunate enough to get a class that's coming to you from recess, which most of the uh, specialist teachers do get like they 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 somehow schedule the music class right after certain classes come from their lunch recess period. You got children that are coming with scrapes that they that you know imagine a kindergartner coming to you from recess. What do they want? What's the first thing they want? They want a band-aid. <laughs> and you might have you might have six of them that want a band-aid. So like what you gotta tell them, wait, hold on. I gotta I gotta admit these these other kindergartners to my Zoom room. Right. So yeah, come on. Yeah. Let's be realistic about that.
1: It's a lot, man. And you know, like I find I you know I've I've become really bad at texting people back and between, you know, Instagram, Facebook, texting, and it's like what you're saying, you need to be present in the moment with your students and you cannot, you can't tell them to wait five minutes because you got one kid with a cut and a scrape and you got someone raising their hand online. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, there's, yeah. There's some things like you need to be in the moment, you need to be present in the classroom because it, especially in New Orleans, if you're not present for that one moment, that's, that's when something can go terribly oh, wrong. Man.
2: Sure. Man, it's, 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 it's not just New Orleans, it's anywhere. It's New York yeah. City, it's, New York. It, it's Madison, Wisconsin, anywhere. Like teaching is, is, is teaching when you, when you talk about that. Now, of course, there's nuances to teaching in New Orleans, but there's nuances to teaching in Los Angeles or anywhere else. So Of course, yeah. yeah
3: of course. Now, Alan, I'm curious, man. Now, be real. Do <clears throat> you feel safe? And are your students safe inside of a school? Cause you say y'all um, going back? Y'all going back in a week or so, right?
2: We are going back. I think. Well, uh, to answer the question about myself personally, uh, mm. I think per the CDC guidelines, the schools down I'm going to give you a very political answer right now. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm going to push back, but go ahead. No, 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 no. Because, 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 because I'm going to. I'm get, I'm starting with a political answer, but okay. I am going to. I am going to pivot. Okay. So um schools are doing everything they can within their power per the C D C guidelines to make sure that they're abiding by mm-hmm. those um those guidelines. Now with that being said, we know we know the CDC. We know that it's a federal agency and we know who's running the federal government. Now mm-hmm. take that re interpret that how you wish. I'm I'm not saying uh, interpret it how you wish. Yeah. Okay. But compare it to how other things have gone under current management. And Mm.
1: uh, anything can happen. (laughs) Do
2: do I, do I, do I feel safe? That's to be determined. I, we haven't, we have not gone back in the building yet with the children. Um, Do I want to be, do I want to be back face to face with the children? I absolutely do. You know, I feel like that is where, that is where my work uh, is done best. Um I am I'm reluctant to say that I feel safe though, you know, because I know I know how serious of an issue is with uh, the spreading of colds and diseases and viruses and, and lice and every other every other ailment that can be spread happens in a school. <laughs> Yeah. Because of because of the work that you do with children, especially the youngest of children and the young children are the ones that are going back to school first. Right. So. Um, it comes with the job, people who choose to to take the profession of being teachers, just like doctors who choose to go into um, a room with a sick person and treat them, you, you, you assume that level of risk. It's not in the fine print when you sign your, uh, your paycheck or your contract. But you know, once you start teaching, you 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 automatically assume that 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 the risk is, okay, these children are gonna be uh, you're gonna be exposed to to yeah. many different things. And uh so now, that being said, what was the other part of your question? You said, do I feel safe? And, and what and was do, the other part? Are
3: the kids safe?
2: Are the kids safe? So Given the studies and the science that's out there so far, that's everything that's been released, the information says that children uh, are not as, I'm paraphrasing here, I'm uh, i am going to put out the disclaimer that I am not a scientist and I'm paraphrasing. So, uh, but like, I think this, there are studies out there that suggest that children are, are less susceptible to the, to the disease than, than grown adults. Like, they're, they're, they're supporting information that suggests that it might not be as serious for children. It's still a very serious virus, though, correct? Yep. right. On the other hand, also, parents have to be really, really uh, clear on what they are opting into if they choose to send their children back into a school building. Like a classroom, it's not going to look like a classroom has historically looked. You know, people have made uh, jokes about like how some classrooms look like prisons. I, I think it's safe to assume that many classrooms this fall are going re- to resemble that of what a prison might look like for children. Oh, they're not wow. going to be able to they're not going to be able to transition freely from space to space. They're mm. sort of going to be isolated into their classrooms. And I'm not just speaking for my school district. I'm just speaking generally. I'm, yeah. I'm painting very broad brushes. Okay. They you know, they, they, there aren't going to be many sharing of common spaces because they're trying to limit the exposure. Right. So what mm. does that mean? Some schools are doing staggered starts. Some, some kids are gonna arrive at a certain time. Others are gonna arrive at a certain time. There's gonna be very specific seating on the school buses that transition the students to school. Um, they're gonna walk into the school in a distance line. They're gonna to have to maintain walking in straight lines spaced out in the hallways, ensuring that there's a certain uh, number of feet between each person uh in a very regimented structure that that could represent or resemble what you might see in a prison hmm. and um many schools have have dictated that children are going to have to eat their meals inside of the room they're not going to be able to go uh have recess outside or have any sort of uh, what? or have any sort of activity that looks like recess because of the contact that happens um uh, again I'm painting with a broad brush right Every school district's mileage may vary. I'm just, this is just what has been out there, what has been presented. So is it absolutely. safe for children? Parents have to really weigh the environment that they're allowing their children to go back into while also weighing, like some parents can't afford to not send their children back. They have no, to work, right? They no, have absolutely. to, they have to, you know, make money and they, like, their work does not provide them the flexibility to work from home. So. Yeah.
3: You know, yeah, this this whole thing is crazy because of those reasons you just said, like a lot of people are like, I got i I'm a pizza delivery guy or I'm a doctor or, or it's anything in between. And so I, I have to go to work or I work for yeah. the garbage disposal, co- you know, grocery, grocery, store grocery stores, grocery okay. stores, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and it's kind of like. <laughs> I don't know, man, I think all of us went to public school. And so in public school, there is no place for social distancing because they overcrowd the schools and no. so i'm just trying to figure out how do you do that in a place with that many people and one teacher has 30 kids you can't social distance <laughs>
1: it's just not i mean i'm no physicist but it, I, it's, just, it's just not when, possible. what have kids well, ever broken place? the line rules i mean come on let's be real yeah, kids, man, have, come kids on. love lines <laughs>
2: yeah well most <laughs> most places are are now I think the, uh, the phase two um, structure is set up to where it's a minimum class, a maximum class size of 25, including the teacher. So w- w- thankfully, we're not going to be seeing classes of 30 kids under okay. phase two. And I don't know if the phases are the same amongst the different states. But in, in Louisiana, for example, phase two dictates that no class size is over 25. So what happens you know? to the other,
3: other five to 10 kids that were in that classroom?
2: Well, I think so many school districts in New Orleans are are reporting that they're uh, somewhere between 30 to 50 percent of the families have chosen to uh, stay home for the year. OK, so that's kind of how that that number has been sort of absorbed by the families that are going to be doing distance I, learning. I see that. You. OK. Yeah.
1: Man, this is this is awesome, crazy stuff. And I and, I, and I, like you were saying earlier, it's like you know, as an educator, a lot of a lot of I think a lot of the things that make a great educator are classroom management and like classroom culture, in addition to the actual lessons. So it's it's such a it's such a. I don't. I don't want to use the word burden, but it's such a transition to expect teachers to all of a sudden master this skill of virtual learning, and you know, from all, yeah. all, all, all sides of the, the education system, trying to adjust for this, for this total, this situation. You know, this is this is a really hard thing, and everyone's going through it, man. So I hope, I man, I hope as as teachers, we can still provide some type of escape or at least a positive point in these kids' lives through uh, through education. Mm-hmm. Well, one,
2: you know, to your point also, uh, one, of the, one of the other things that uh, a good teacher is is a, a relationship builder, right? And one thing that the, this virtual realm that we've been operating in has provided is an opportunity for the teachers to establish relationships, again, not just with the children, but with the families. Yeah. So um, that, is, that is a positive that has come from this virtual uh, experience, in my yeah. opinion.
1: I think it's yeah. so important to have relationships with, I mean, when, when the family is included in the education with just, you know, coming to school from PTA meetings or soccer games or whatever it is, it's, it's man, it just changes the whole, the environment for the, for the children, for the teachers. I think it's such a positive thing. Yeah. Um, can, yeah, can, just, go, um, ahead, go ahead, Darren, go ahead.
3: I was just going to say like, you know, and Alan, I don't want you to feel like I'm attacking you, you the teacher in the room. And this and that it's not your <laughs> fault. None of this is your fault, but you here and we having this discussion, but I just feel like, we, at, to a certain degree, we are sacrificing our kids because even if one kid gets sick and almost dies, that price is too high.
2: You know we are I mean? sacrificing our kids by what?
3: By, by putting them in the line of fire. So it's like, you know what? We know that this is spread you know, through the air and when a lot of people get close together. So go in that building and be close together. You yeah. Couldn't, we couldn't so, figure out nationally another way to, to do this, you know, to make this a little yeah. bit safe.
2: I mean, that's why it's so important that parents are informed and, and, and that school districts are, are transparent to the utmost with parents about what they're bringing, what they're putting their children uh, into. Cause it's not just, so the guidelines are saying that, okay, the children are maintaining their pods. They're gonna be in, in controlled groups of 25. Nobody outside of that pod is going to interact with that pod of children. Now, inside of the school, that's a contained unit. So again, what parents, what are you subjecting your kids to? So your child is stuck in this pod. They have to go to the bathroom at the same time. They cannot cross paths with pod B if they're pod A, because there's contamination possibilities or exposure possibilities there. So everything has to happen in this contained unit. Now. The other variable then is, okay, specialist teachers like music, art teachers, teachers that provide servicing to those pods. We're rotating pods. Ah. So how do we maintain that we are not the vector that is exposing the children in those pods? Absolutely. Not only that, when children go home, they're playing with their neighbors who go to other schools, so there's, there's exposure there. You know, like these are all things that parents to your point, Darian, we just have to just have to make sure that they're considering when they make that choice of having right. to send their children in, either by either by choice or by necessity, as we pointed out, because many parents just have to be able to get to work, and they right. can't do that. They can't maintain their livelihood if, right. um, you know, yeah. the children are yeah. in the right. house with them. Right. Yeah. Ah
3: oh, man, this, <laughs> I'm glad I'm not a politician trying to figure this out because yeah, it's hard. I, yeah, it's hard, and, and well, I think that uh, it's, the blame is going to be put on some people later.
2: short memories man yeah. like you know like like they're, they're not gonna be like people people were singing the praise of teachers in in march and april and come august teachers are now the the, the public enemy number one because they don't want to get back in the classroom with children because they're worried about safety and everything yeah. and you know they're just being selfish so like people have very short memories when it comes like even you know using the police as an example like uh you know, after nine eleven, you know, police were, were, were held in such high regard. Two years later, they try to get a raise and they can't get a raise. Now, I'm not saying that as a proponent of policing, but I'm just saying like, like the common citizen has such a short memory when it comes to social issues.
1: Yeah, it's, it's all about the emotions, man. I mean, I think I guess I guess what politics really not to get into a conversation about politics, but it's about taking advantage of the emotions of the moment to, you know, to 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 fulfill an agenda. Um, yep. I just want to say man Roderick Pollan chimed in on Facebook and he I just wanted to throw in his two cents. He said social distancing will not work and that's being transparent and I, I agree with Roderick on that. <laughs> yeah, no. I, man, I, I, I totally agree.
2: Bro, listen, listen. I agree with Roderick. Like if you think about it this way, like the 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 common like most of the schools, I'm going to use just New Orleans as as an example. Okay. Uh, I don't I you know, New York is so different. Uh, most of the schools in New Orleans post-Katrina have, have, been, have been rebuilt. We have, these, these, we have a lot of really beautiful brand-new buildings, uh, and they were built off of many of the same architectural plans, like the same, they used a template. It was like two or three different blueprints that they sold around, and they built all, these, all of these different schools based off of those blueprints. Okay. So there is a common square footage amongst many of the classrooms. If you think 24 kids or 23 kids can safely social distance in that square footage that is in that common classroom, the math doesn't work out. So, no. Right. That's right. why, though, they're saying if you're in that pod of kids, you don't have to social distance. Right. Like, there is no mandate for the pod of children to social distance. Gotcha. There's yeah. just a mandate for different pods to be socially distant. Right. Now, again, that, that, that does not... That does not clarify what happens when those kids get home though. <laughs> and so parents just have to be able to understand that, okay, if you are making the choice or if you have to choose to send your kids in to the school, just know what. Just, just make sure you know what you're sending your kids into. And know the experience that you're gonna expose the kids to and teachers are gonna do their very best to make it a, a, a rich, wonderful experience for the children. But yeah. you're, you're, the children are going to be in a room, and, and just about, because the kids get sick yeah. doesn't
1: mean they got it at school either. You know, there's still like, exactly. there's still another sixteen hours of the day where they're they're at home and, and doing whatever they do. Um, exactly. I, I I I would love to transition the the, the conversation more into a, a general kind of talking about. You you were mentioning post Katrina in New Orleans, and maybe more talk about education outside of the COVID context, because. I'm I'm not speaking for Darian here, but man, I've had this conversation so many times over the last five months that sometimes it's like I think it's important to know when to cut it off because it's like we just start talking about the same stuff over and over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. but 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 you were, you know, Alan. You is, for those of you who don't know, um, Alan and his work. You know, Alan is a wonderful saxophone player. Um, you know, Darian and I both met him through the Uptown Jazz Orchestra, but but Alan Alan has really found his um. Man found his stride, or found you know, really impacted the community in such a positive way through his education, and you know, I I look forward so much to interacting with Alan's former students, uh, whether it be like through our our, our camp here at um, Second Line or at the Louis Armstrong Jazz Camp, and now that I'm over at NOCA, I, I have a couple of of your former students, and Alan, I have to say, man, they're they're some of the most prepared, and they have such an amazing mindset and uh, an attitude towards music and towards learning and you know i, I just I'll, every time i see you i, I gotta let you know that, that you're doing such a wonderful job with these kids and i was, man, I, was I mean
2: I, I you know i appreciate that bro. I, i'm just <laughs> i'm just a spoke in the wheel of influence that 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 i share that with with you and i share that with my colleague man you know we're all we're all doing the work you know totally. thank you though that man. means a lot
1: hey man and thank you because let me tell you (laughs) you make my life so much easier (laughs) but but man you know like interacting with with music students from like a you know again from that k to eighth grade age group and i I know specifically Mm -hmm. even within that age range there's so many differences but yeah when i was teaching at um high school here there were a lot of students that were showing up in ninth grade and had never played before and yep. had no middle school music education, no elementary school education, and I was wondering if you would share your thoughts on the importance of elementary and middle school music education in the development of musicians.
2: Yeah, man, um, but I love teaching K eight. I absolutely love teaching K eight. Um, it's like it's like you wear, you know, I wear three hats as a as a music teacher at those grade levels because. Um, and it, it's not for nothing, man. Like I feel like a lot of my personal development as a musician, I had to either stifle or put on pause so that I could develop more as an educator. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, cause I, man, I, I got into education as a performer. I wasn't trained in education. My degrees aren't in education. I had to learn it. You know, I had to shed it. I had to study it um and i you know i had the benefit of, of just just like you know as a, a musician you know there's an apprenticeship that you go through you know you 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 work you, you seek out the musicians that you want to associate with and you just try to be around them you try to associate and get as much information as you can uh from the bandstand with them and just in life from the hang you know it's the same with with you know education um especially if you're fortunate enough to be a, a music educator, you know, I, I, I wish so much that more of our performers, uh, would, would see the, the benefits uh, of, of teaching, you know, not just teaching like everybody seems to have this vision in their mind. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to eventually go off and I'm going to teach at a college. I'm going to teach, you know, um, like it's no lie man there's there's a lot of work that goes into being able to teach children like you 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 have to like you can either you can either do the work or you can go pay for the work to be done to you through like going get an education degree you can do the work like there's if you know how to read you can read books on it and like if you if you have a performance degree you there's certain credentialing you can get that puts you in the classroom. Now, once you get in the classroom, you still have to do the work though. Mm-hmm. Just like once you get in the band, you still have to do the work. You still got to share You still have to, you still have to do the work every day of being a musician. Once you made it in the band, you don't have that seat for a long time unless you do the work. Yeah. So, so anyway, uh, but back to your, your do like K eight for me, um, it's like three hats, right? I K two, it's a lot of general music, man. I, I've sort of, uh, you know, I, I use an, an, an offshore work approach in that age group. I'm starting to mix in a little kadai with, with, with singing and using the voice. Now, I'm not a singer. I'm not a trained singer. I've sought out training, and I'm still learning because I do feel like at that age, it's really important for those students to learn how to audiate and how to just be able to, to just hear pitch. And to be able to, 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 to create mel- very simple melodies. Um, transitioning through, like, you know, third through fifth, third through fourth, just introductory instruments, not even transitioning to band. A lot of people in New Orleans will put, third, will put a baritone in a third grader's hand and expect them to march down Canal Street. I don't necessarily agree with that. Yeah. Uh, and then once, you know, kids get to sixth, sixth grade, we start a band curriculum so i i wear the hat of a band teacher then Hmm. and i'm fortunate to be able to have been at the school where i am right now this is my eighth year there so the eighth graders i have were first graders for me oh wow so like i have i have a you know an amazing relationship that has taken work uh but now i can I can reap the benefit of many seeds that were planted when they were first graders, you know? And like, I I hope that in eight years, I can still maintain the relationship with the kids at my school. Cause like the success comes from the longevity, you know, at that school. And when you teach high school, like, and and Greg, you, you know, you you're teaching high school. So you know what I'm talking about. High school is really cool because you know the kids are coming; they should be coming to you with the prerequisite amount of information mm-hmm. that then you can shape and mold and turn it into something else that prepares them for adulthood, basically. Right. But what I love about K eight is you know the shaping and the molding. Now, what I hate about K eight is usually right around the time in April when they get to eighth grade and they finally starting to swing. And they really are like looking, like sounding like they're getting to something. I cut them loose and I send them to y'all, you know? Oh, I, know. I, wish, I wish there was an environment where I could hold on to them just a little bit longer so I can start having a lot more fun with them. We still have a lot of fun, though. But, um, but I, I really value the long-term trajectory and the long-term relationships that that teaching K-8 brings, even though it's, it's a ton of work. It's really hard.
1: Yeah. you know it's from even from a playing perspective what you were just saying about like you know in eighth grade you turn them loose and that's when they're really swinging you know it's it's i think not
2: really no, wait hold on hold on not really swinging but i mean they 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 at least know yeah okay i need to listen to this to get to this so go ahead
1: but i i think what what's killing about that is that tying it back in also to, to you know, all of us as, as players have these grad aspirations of teaching at this like, you know, prestigious college, uh, you know, program and things like that. But yo, if we're, we, we don't have elementary and middle school education, we don't have high school education, we don't have college education, we don't have musicians. And yep. again, even bringing that back to the cats cutting them loose at eighth grade. And by, you know, as a high school teacher, if if a cat doesn't even know like why he's doing what he's doing or what he's shooting for, which which I guess I think is like kind of what you were trying to say with in terms of them swinging. It's too late in ninth grade, almost. You know, tenth grade, eleventh yeah. grade. It's it's really really hard to to put a clarinet or a saxophone in, in a ninth grader's hands who's never played music, and even be able to communicate to them what <laughs> what they're trying to do. <laughs> yeah, and man, you you know you
2: so you're at Noka uh you know the new orleans center for creative arts you're 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 seeing the students who have left us uh who kind of have an idea about what it is to to make it to the league if you will you know they kind of have an idea about okay well I, i'm intrigued about this being a musician thing but honestly man like i'm i'm just as interested in teaching the kids who are not necessarily interested in in going to the league but interested in just being being good patrons of the arts. Like oh, really? I want I want them to be able to listen to good music. I want them to be able to hear good music because those are the people that's gonna be coming to our gigs, yeah. you know? And like if, if we don't create good listeners, like we can create, I can create five great musicians and they're gonna be playing for each other. But you know, mm-hmm. if I create 20 good listeners, Twenty people at a jazz gig is a decent sized crowd, if you will. It's not bad. So <laughs> you know no, no, I'm just, I'm just saying, and it's not even just about jazz. I'm, but, but, yeah. you know, if we create people who actually can listen critically to to good music, and that starts young, you know, that that is a mission accomplished. You know, and then the ones who, the ones who actually make it up to the creative arts high schools. And if they choose to then go pursue careers in in music, you know that's bonus, that's icing on the cake, you know um yeah, but also man credit to their families too, man, because their families are pushing them in that direction because there's a that's lot right. of families who are deliberately pushing children away from that direction yeah, so
3: absolutely listen i I have a question man and 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 it's it's kind of unique to a few places in America, and New Orleans is one of them where the culture of that city is important and and somehow in and also the music is important to the culture of the city so how do you teach that you know like how are you teaching that in the classroom like how are you teaching the history and the culture of the music to the kids so that they understand it it's coming from them
2: yeah that's a man that's an interesting uh question um so in my opinion, like in New Orleans specifically, the music is coming from three different sources, right uh, or it can come from three different sources. It can come from the community, it can come from the church, or it can come from the school right Two of those three need to be working in order for something really musical to be happening in my opinion, <laughs> you know okay. Okay. if you're just getting it from one, you're missing some things Absolutely. right uh, and so and I would say on the, even on the the, the, the lower rung, like what's been happening, what's, what's been happening in the schools, uh, like many of the schools in New Orleans have sort of shifted to like a very myopic approach to music education,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, doing just one, one type of music education. Uh, Are that you talking has, about so,
1: marching band?
2: Well... <laughs> uh, <laughs> No, well, no, man, I, I don't, I don't want to just say it's marching band, right? Mm-hmm. Cause like there's marching band, there's, there's, there, there's a lot of music can be taught through marching band, right? But, but I'm speaking more so about what has been accepted as, as the culture in New Orleans. Yeah. Uh, which, which, which we can name it as marching band, but I think it's something even more, uh, specific than that, right? Um, I think it it speaks to sort of a decline that had that had happened over the last twenty five years in music education in the city from various reasons like a, like a funding of the schools that started in the nineties or even in the late eighties and you had you had there were so many uh amazing music educators that uh right around the same time that programs were being defunded uh they were they were approaching retirement, you know, and it was happening also at the same time where, you know, so many schools were producing music educators like LSU and all these others. But it was also at a time where, you know, music educators didn't necessarily or trained music educators didn't necessarily want to come and work in the city because of all the stigmas that Orleans Parish schools had. Mm -hmm. And so who was left available to work in the city? It was people who were part of this marching band culture that you're speaking of. Hmm. Now, I, I I can't knock them though. I don't want to knock them because they those educators stepped up when other people didn't. But what what then needed to happen though? There needed to be some sort of system that was able to take what they were coming to the plate with and develop it and build it so that children are not just playing one particular style, it's also like, not even like, let's pull it away from marching band. Like there's choir, there's theater, there's drama, there's, uh, sorry, musical theater, there's drama, there's, there's so many different aspects of music that band just, just scratches the surface of that isn't happening in New Orleans. It's true. New Orleans is very band heavy. Hmm. But, um, you know, unless, unless your, your, your musical experience is coming from the church you're not really getting a choral experience in the city right now. If you're going to, mo- like there, there may maybe four or five schools, high schools that I'm thinking of that may have a choral uh, program. And once you get to the middle, it's less, and elementary choral is pretty much non-existent. So um, New Orleans is a very band heavy city and that's when we start talking about culture. For the last 25 years, people, who were educated throughout the city sort of have adopted this idea that band is music and band is a huge part of the culture band is is you know especially when we start talking about the brass band traditions and like all of these traditions that that kind of were formed around marching band you know now i don't again i don't want to make it an attack on marching bands because i think marching bands have an important contribution but when we start talking about like the, the 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 elements of musicianship that need to be addressed if we're trying to create you know musicians blending balance intonation uh reading
3: absolutely
2: you know like again why why do we have some schools putting baritones in the hands of third graders like yeah. the children they they can't they can't hold the instrument correctly right. like and like, they're trying to deal with instrument carriage and you want them to walk down the street swinging a horn like this?
1: Yeah. Come on, man,
2: I, I, like I let's always, be real.
1: You know, I, I'm on the same page with you too. And I, I certainly hope I don't come across as like hating on, on band culture or anything like that, you know, cause it's, it's such a beautiful thing. And, and, and you know, to also to see how much it means to a lot of the kids here, it's if they didn't have band, they wouldn't they wouldn't want to be playing an instrument. So I think it's it's an important thing to, you know, to keep, as part of what it means to be from new orleans um but you're you're right man i, I think i think but the, you know again like to me education at, on some level is supposed to introduce children to things that are outside of the community they bring they, they grow up in in addition to celebrating the community but man it's like there are no marching band gigs once you leave college there's there, you know if you're the best marching band person in the world you know there's there's not a gig for you and and you know you could be a jerk and say it's the same thing for any musician. But... <laughs> wait, 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 wait,
2: no, Greg, 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 I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna push back. I'm gonna push back
1: on that. But but I just I just uh, wanted wow. to say like I wanna you know for me as an educator I wanna provide my 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 kids with the the tools they need to also work outside of New Orleans if that's something they yes. they fit. So yeah, sorry. Yeah,
2: but I'm gonna push back on the on the the, the, the there's no work piece because like there there's there's so many uh, pieces of evidence. Through, through the brass band culture of New Orleans. Now, I know you said outside of, working outside of New Orleans, but uh, like so many of our brass band musicians, their only, you know, form of introduction to organized music was the marching band. So oh, like w- we can't discredit the, 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 the beneficial aspects of marching band. But I, I just, in my ideal world, we wouldn't, have, we wouldn't have middle schools doing it. It would be a high school experience. Mm-hmm. And, because if you listen to the high school directors, like, their main critique is, well, the kids are coming to us, they don't know how to read. The kids are coming to us, they just can't play in tune. The kids are coming to us and they don't know how to how to finger this particular note. I'm like, okay, well, if we really want to talk about why they're coming to you like that, we'll get to the answer why. Mm-hmm. It's because we're, we're, we're forcing them to do activities that are beyond their, their zone of development before we actually get them to do the things that they need to be doing at that
1: particular grade level man, yeah
3: that's that, that's interesting man we, you know i'm from mississippi so we also have marching band <laughs> culture it, it because mm-hmm. i think it's because of football honestly and so you, you start and mardi
2: gras
3: and mardi gras and all that so you start marching in middle school but uh you also at the schools i went to we also had other programs like you know symphonic instrument programs in like, you know, you can be in the orchestra, youth orchestra, which I was in and played timpani and stuff and hated it, but my mom made me do it. (laughs) But but you get some fundamental knowledge in there to go along with, funny enough, I never marched in marching band until college. So so I did all those other things, you know what I mean? So maybe that's, like you said, that's the missing piece. They need to get the other things with, to supplement the marching band experience.
2: Darren, you're absolutely correct and like so let's let's talk about why they're not getting those things so many of the many of the and again this is not a condemnation of the people who are doing the work cuz they they they're to be commended because they they're stepping up to do the work in the schools okay. right but you know many of the people who are coming into the to the the profession of teaching music in New Orleans are coming in with this background, this very specific background of of dealing with the marching band medium, you know? Yeah. And if they were going to a high school that was a really strong marching band, you know, proponent and they like, that's that's what they do at that high school, they would thrive in that scenario. But there's only so many high schools. So what's next? Okay, well, this middle school has an opened. I'm gonna go to this middle school. Okay, but you cannot do, you cannot teach a high school level activity to middle schoolers. Like it's just not, it's not developmentally appropriate for that level. And to what you're saying, Darian, like, you you know, there are are many middle schools around the country who are marching at sixth, seventh and eighth grade. You're absolutely right. And, but they also have the, as a foundational component, if you think about it as a wheel, the Mm -hmm. cog of that wheel is usually the concert band. And from Mm -hmm. the concert band, uh, stems all of these auxiliary programs. you have you know chamber uh, ensembles. you have concert, you have uh, jazz band, you have brass band if it's New Orleans, you have concert symphonic band. you have all of these things that, that branch off from that cog, that central cog which is concert band. Right. And because that is the environment where you, you you develop all of those foundational skills that, that transition into higher levels of musicianship. What else is happening at the middle school level? Uh, in New Orleans, you know, if you think about a good size of a marching band, you, you want to have at least 100 kids, right? Right. So it, statistically, a marching band at a, at a, a 5A high school, you're going to have probably 10% of the school is going to be, is, a healthy music program has about 10%, 10 to 15% of the student population in the school. So that's a healthy program. So a high school that has a thousand kids, if you have a hundred-person band, that's a good-sized band. That's a good-sized band program, right? Yeah. yeah. But now let's tra- let's translate that to what we have in New Orleans, for example, a K-8 school. A K-8 school might have a thousand kids, but now if you have a thousand kids in a K-8 school and you then think of a middle school band, that middle school is only six, seventh, and eighth, technically, right? right? So that's about a hundred kids per grade level. So that's 300 kids. So if you want to talk about the 10% ratio, 10% of that is only 30 kids. That's not a good-sized marching band. Yeah. So what are these? So what are educators doing in order f- to fulfill the requirement to have a good-sized marching band? They're starting to pull kids from fifth grade, starting to pull kids from fourth grade, starting to pull them from third grade. Some of them have second grade graders marching. Wow. And then what? What does that mean? Now instead of having children who are who are you know, actually appropriately sized to hold an instrument with their hands, with their small hands and everything. Now you have second graders playing trumpet who can't even position their hands right. And they're using, they're using poor technique. And all of that is going to then trickle up to these high school directors that are complaining that the children are not coming to them prepared.
3: Gotcha. Okay. Well, hey, Look, bro, you broke it down today.
1: <laughs> Yo, that was, that was killing. That was, that was great.
3: You, hey, man, you need to be on the panel or something to, to get some of this rectified, you know? And, and I hope <laughs> people hear this, because this is important. It's important for the parents, especially the parents, because they don't even know. You know, they, can't, yeah. they like Roderick said, they just want to see their baby march in a parade, you know?
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs> um, Alan, man, that's, that's our hour, man okay that's a, i don't want to we, we don't want to hold you all night long greg i don't know if you had any more any more points
1: you wanted to hit maybe maybe can you know as an educator man what what is your message to the importance of music education and um how you know what are you what are your thoughts of the importance of music education and i think that'd be a good way to to, to leave it for the evening to,
2: to to which audience to the to the student to the parent to the to the listener to what like Man, is,
1: to, to everyone, what do people need to know about music education, man? And if you want to address all of them, please. Yeah, Because I think it's so important. And
2: music. So what we said in the beginning, man, like in the, in the worst of times and in the best of times, people lean to music uh, as their either as their motivation or as their release. When you're working out, you're listening to music. To, to, to get hyped up. When you're feeling down, you're finding a song with some lyrics that that ring true to your spirit at that point. You know, when you're, when you're, when you're, when, you're, when you when you're getting married, when you just got married, you're, you're dancing to a song with your with your wife or with your husband. Uh, so, and to speak to what music education provides, without music education, people wouldn't be able to appreciate the music that they're hearing the quality of music would suffer like the productions the 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 level of production in music that uh will be coming out in the future will will decline if we didn't have people doing the work of educating the future listeners the future audience and the future makers of music so there you go there it is
3: yo this is the working artist project i'm darian douglas yo alan thank you so much for coming Bro, Alan, thank Thank you you, so much.
1: That was so so informative and you really broke it down in such an amazing, in a way that only a master teacher could, man. (laughs) (laughs) Gave us a lesson tonight.
3: That was great, man. Thank you so much, man.
0: The Oregon College Savings Plan can help fund your child's dreams and ideas. But it's not just for college. It's also the Trade School Savings Plan and the Books and Materials Savings Plan even the room and board savings plan. With fewer educational expenses to think about, your kids can focus on what matters, their future. Start saving today to support your child's tomorrow. Learn more at oregoncollegesavings.com. The Oregon College Savings Plan can help you support your kid's future career as a teacher. A uh, airplane driver? Um, No, their career as a hairstyle designer. As a dinosaur doctor? Oh. Their future job as a windmill builder. No, an ice cream taster. You know what? We just don't know what they want to be yet. But while they figure it out and dream big, we're here to help you save for what comes next, whatever that may be. Learn more at OregonCollegeSavings.com.